it's up to you whether you determine that you want to have a conversation with a passerby or not. And in my experience, Minshant, it's been always positive. All those years that I've been drawing outside, Hello and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast, a place where we have deep conversations with artists about the practice of drawing on location, otherwise known as urban sketching. This podcast is for you if you're interested in becoming a better artist, a better observer, or if you're simply looking for a way to engage with the world around you in a positive manner. If you're a new listener, I welcome you to the show. I hope that you will have a great time listening to this conversation and that it's good enough that you go back and catch the other episodes as well. If you're a regular listener, I first want to thank you. I love to hear from you, so feel free to reach out on Instagram or Twitter or by email. Your enthusiasm really helps me to keep doing this. I like doing everything for this podcast by myself, right from reaching out to potential guests, to dreaming up the questions, the actual job of recording, and then the painstaking task of editing and transcribing each episode. This is nothing to complain about, because I would have it no other way. It means a lot of work, but I enjoy doing all of it. I recently introduced a feature to allow listeners to support my work if they wish to do so. It's simple. If you like this episode, you can visit sneakyartist.com support or click the link in the episode description. This gives you the chance to support my work with a small donation, the price of one cup of coffee. The support and the caffeine will help me to continue making this podcast while keeping you, the individual listener, as the center of my attention. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Marek Badzinski, an urban sketcher in Toronto, Canada. I met Marek at the USK seminar in Chicago last year, and we bonded over some sketching habits that we both share. Both of us love to draw quickly, we go in straight with ink, and we like to use fountain pens. That said, I draw people next to buildings, and Marek draws buildings next to people. He uses a bent nib fountain pen for his work, known as a food pen, on sheets of paper that are much larger than my sketchbooks. We talk about how he came to use the food nib for the first time, and how it adds a flair to his work while keeping his art supply list still fairly minimal. As a relatively new user of the Fude Nib, I highly recommend it, especially if you are already a fountain pen user. Both of us being impatient artists, we talk about the importance of lowering the barrier to getting started on an empty page. I feel like this is the biggest barrier of them all, and if we can only train ourselves to get started quickly, everything after that becomes a whole lot easier. And on that note, let's begin our conversation. Hello, Marek. It is lovely to have you on the podcast, and it's lovely to see your face again after last year in Chicago. It's been so long. Hello, Nishant. Same here. Absolutely great to see you. (laughs) So, Marek, every time I speak to different guests, I wonder about how I should start the conversation. But uh, the simple rule that I follow is I go with the most interesting thing that I know that I can think about them, and I make that my first question. So 
uh, my first question to you and the first thing i want to talk about is something we spoke about the last time when we were discussing doing this podcast and we were talking about uh, about uh, drawing the same scene again and again and you'd mentioned that you recently drew the same kind of church scene with a time difference of 40 years like you remember drawing it 40 years or something in the past and then redrawing it again can you tell me what this was can you tell me what this experience was like sure absolutely well it's uh, well welcome all first of all and thank you for having me here on the podcast uh what nishant is talking about is a scene in san gimignano in italy in between siena and florence it's a very well known town a tourist town and um, and i did uh, this drawing of one of the main piazzas uh, in the one with the well um in there a few years ago when i was in san gimignano for a week i met there with my family my family lives in poland i'm polish and uh, we decided to to just meet in italy so i came from canada i live in toronto and uh, i flew in from canada and they flew in from from warsaw poland to san gimignano and there i was for a week with them and uh, did a lot of drawings obviously so i sketched this uh, one of the many iconic views that san gimignano offers and then when i came back home and uh, actually i liked it so i framed it and i put it on my wall and then when i came back home i looked at uh, you know and i was looking at some old papers of mine and i found in there the exact same scene from 1987 drawn from the exact same spot so more than 30 years passed in, in between those two drawings i totally forgotten that i drew it i i knew that i was there before because that was during my university times so uh, i knew i was there before but i had absolutely no recollection of uh, doing that particular sketch and because the sketch was tiny at that time i was sketching pretty much um postcard size so it somehow survived you know probably in a book or so it somehow survived with me and it ended up being here with me in toronto uh, so now that uh, uh, that i'm here i have two uh, two versions of the same view one is the postcard size from 1987 The other one is the drawing from a few years ago which is much larger it's um, half a sheet. Yeah. And that's so interesting for uh, already for two different reasons that I can think of. Uh, the first reason that occurs to me is that uh, there's this fear that I have that I'll end up drawing everything that is interesting to me and then I'll be at a city that I like and I won't have anything to draw because I will have drawn everything but now I see that maybe hopefully I'll forget that I drew those things and then I'll come back and I'll draw them with the same excitement all over again well you're you're much younger Nishan so you might not forget that <laughs> easily but uh, but uh, it's uh, it, I think every time we go somewhere it offers new views and you every time you can discover i went to chicago 3 years in a row and uh, every time i went i found something different about your city uh, which i appreciated more and more and more uh, so obviously the first time you go you sort of go for the major landmarks that's normal that's what tourists do and then the tourists will um, stop at that and go elsewhere because often they have a tour that they need to see three four locations on the same bus tour the same day etc all that um 
I prefer to go to a location which I can sort of stay and immerse myself um, in the in the in the local in the local culture in the local architecture. That's how I prefer. So my visits to well, lately it's been Italy before COVID. Um, it's usually I just go and sit somewhere for a week and maybe do some little tours around. But that's just my priority. I prefer to go around and and just say that I can understand the not only the 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 place but also its culture better. Yeah, yeah. And it's the second thing that was interesting to me about this question and also one of the reasons why I asked you this question is I was going to I was asking you about the things that are different when you sketch the same scene with so much uh, when so much time has passed between your first and your second drawing but what I find very interesting here also is that you drew the same scene without knowing from the same position. And that's something that hasn't changed. Like, although you changed from a postcard size to a large paper size, but still the artistic instinct with which you liked a certain angle or you liked a certain look, it stayed somehow the same thing. And you drew that same scene in the same in in that in that sense in the same way. And that's so fascinating to me. Well, it might be fascinating, but there is a a certain element of laziness in that too, <laughs> because the very first time I was there, I certainly, I, I was backpacking through Europe. So at that point, I did not have any seat with me. I would just sit down wherever I could. And what happens on that, uh, in the middle of that triangular square, um, there is this well, and it has a couple of steps going up to the well. So naturally, everyone, tourists and everybody else, tends to sit on those steps because they are you know, nice, warm, basking in the sun and then they, you have this iconic view of uh, all the towers of San Gimignano and that was uh, really fantastic. Uh, so yes, I guess the second time that I that I sketched it, uh, I, I had my gear with me. I, after 40 years in, the, you know, in, in doing drawings, I graduated to actually have a seat that, that travels with me even on the airplane. Uh, but I ended up doing pretty much the same view. Yeah, I understand how uh, how that same view comes to us in a lot of different logistical ways. And this raises this interesting aspect of urban sketching to me, which is how we select the views that we are going to draw. Now, I'm trying to think about how we often draw things when we draw from reference images. And we've been doing that so much now because of COVID, a lot of us are drawing from reference images. Yes. And you have a kind of complete freedom over where you're, what kind of angle you're going to take, whether your view is from the middle of the street, whether your view is from the side of the street, whether your view is 20 feet in the air. And this kind of freedom you get from reference images, but then again, it, it displaces you from that location. When we go there as urban sketchers, we are bound by all of these different rules that end up determining where we are able to draw from and where we are not able to draw from. A lot of it has to do with the logistics, like whether there's traffic, whether it's a hot day, whether you can find shade. But so much of it has to do with the personality of the sketcher. So how, how do you feel about when you're sketching somewhere, you're sketching in a busy place, how, how comfortable are you to pick, you know, the view that you want irrespective of your surroundings? Oh, oh man, do you really want to open that kind of worms? <laughs> I mean, the, the location, oh, that's a, that's a big subject. And, uh, and it, certainly it's, a, it's difficult to, to many people that uh, are perhaps a little shy to go out 
in the middle of the main you know square of town and sit down and sketch um i, I guess i had the privilege of doing this for long enough uh, and uh, i was in a way even forced to draw in public many years ago because the very first time i went to italy on my own i was a university student and uh, effectively selling my watercolors and sketches to the tourists was my way of making my 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 day and and that's that's what i was doing uh, in there so therefore i was a little bit you know in a situation where i i had to get the exposure uh, but I understand uh, that people are sometimes shy uh, and they don't want to to show their you know, their work or they don't even want to present themselves in a situation where it could be uh, of discomfort to anyone else. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult it's a kind of worms in a way, but it can be it can be addressed uh, with um, a couple of uh, suggestions. I think. Um, one is find a spot where you are sitting sort of you have something behind your back so whether it's a tree or a bench or some kind of a signage some street architecture anything like that just so nobody sort of jumps you from behind that helps in my opinion it also puts you automatically outside of the main flow of uh, the traffic. There is pedestrians going through along a sidewalk. Sometimes um, the pedestrians will take an issue or even law enforcement can take an issue uh, with you being sort of in the middle of, uh, of the flow. It certainly does happen well, before COVID. That was an issue in Venice, in Italy, where the, the, the local uh, municipal police would not allow sketchers to sit down in groups pretty much anywhere along the main piazza, the Piazza San Marco, simply because uh, that was impeding the traffic of the many, many tourists and so on and so forth. So um, so I, I was there maybe five years ago or six, and, um, and I did some sketching, but I was there by myself. So I only sort of got a look from them. And since I was already as as far away from the main traffic, then they didn't really say anything. But I figured that if there was uh, a group of us, they certainly would have had an issue. So that's one way. Stay out of the main flow. And then if you, it's up to you whether you determine that you want to have a conversation with a passerby or not. And in my experience, Minshant, it's been always positive. All those years that I've been drawing outside, it's only been positive experiences. I find that I figure that if somebody doesn't like my work or is not interested, they just really pass by and they don't say anything. I haven't had any negative um, experience, well, in the last uh, six, seven years of, uh, of doing this sort of under the urban sketching agenda. Everyone that approached me, they were there because they wanted to learn something. They wanted to say something. They wanted to meet me or, you know, sometimes even inquire if they can buy it. Hey, mm -hmm. yes, please <laughs> take it away. <laughs> but but a lot of urban sketchers feel or, well, let's say people who are trying to get into urban sketching, people who want to draw these things. This is the number one worry that you hear about. What will people say? What will people think? And 
I've also thought this. It's been a very large part of how I draw and where I draw as a result. But again, just like you say, I've never ever had a negative experience. No one has ever objected to what I'm doing. I've always been approached with very positive curiosity. Absolutely, same here. I've even drew up private homes from public though. This, that's the one differentiation that we should make. That uh, as long as you're not stepping on private ground, then uh, you know you sort of you are in between your rights. But it's not only within the rights; it's just being decent towards people. Um, it happened not so far ago, a few months ago. I was drawing this uh, wonderful original house in in Toronto. And I was actually drawing it from not even the, its own sidewalk, but from the sidewalk across the road on the other side, because that was a better vantage point. There was a better view. And, uh, you know, after a, uh, about half an hour or 45 minutes, I can see that they, then they noticed me and they eventually they come out, the owner comes out and he's just approaching me and saying, I'm just curious. I know you are drawing and we just wanted to see what you are drawing. Is that okay? So of course, you know, we, we, we chatted for long and uh, he actually ended up, uh, that particular drawing is with him now after, after all. So it's, it's been a um, most pleasant exchange of, uh, of information and of, uh, you know, the people that are interested in art, they are decent people to start with. Uh, so I don't fear them. And the ones that are not interested, they're simply, they'll just go on their way and and they, I don't think that anyone will interfere with uh, you as a sketcher being on the street drawing. If you have a um, little hesitation or a concern about uh, people approaching you and maybe interrupting your flow, because that's one thing. What uh, I was uh, using before, and I can suggest that, is uh, get a set of uh, headphones, you know, those earphones, and uh, just put them in and make them very visible. They can be, you know, those bright yellow or something or some orange color, highlighter color. Put them in and it doesn't matter whether you actually have any music uh, that, are, that you're listening to or not because it can just go into your pocket. But as long as you have them, those in, and people can see that, then no one will ever approach you to talk to you. I completely endorse this tactic. I have also used it many times while sketching on buses and trains where I feel like people around, like there is naturally people sitting or standing near you on a train. I had this experience also on the subway here in Toronto where I used to draw people on the subway quite often. I mean, that's pretty much how I started drawing people. I was, I'm an architect, so drawing people is not really coming to me in a natural way. And I knew that. So I was forcing myself a little bit to start drawing, you know, things that would be made out not of straight sticks, but they would be made out of some, you know, sort of softer form. And uh, and I, so I started sketching people on the subway just in pencil or pen uh, in a small notebook. And then I realized that uh, if I actually don't have a movement of my head where I'm looking down and then my face is looking up and then it's looking down and it's looking up. But instead of doing that particular movement, I just move my eyeballs only. So I'm looking either through my glasses down to my, to my paper and then I'm looking a little bit above my glasses to the subject that I am currently sketching and the head movement doesn't happen, then no one really notices that I am sketching people on the subway. 
that was a big discovery to me. Um, that second discovery was that it does make a difference what time of the day you try to sketch people in public transit. If you were sketching them at 7 a.m., then they are mostly zombies. They haven't had their coffee yet, and they will really want notice. Or maybe they are reading their own you know, book or they're on their phone. And those, those are actually great because once somebody is doing something, they are immersed in that particular uh, yeah, the, uh, action and they will not uh, move on you much and they will not leave on you because so many times we sketch people in transit and you, know, you just start, you have you know, an ear and half of an eye and then the person leaves. Let, let's go back to something you were saying just before that was quite interesting to me. You were mentioning uh, drawing in Venice, how basically if you are occupying a busy tourist spot and you're a group of sketchers, it's quite likely that, well, other than the locals, even law enforcement is likely to ask you to move along because this is a high traffic area. They don't want anybody camping there. So what this does in effect, because when we urban sketch, we are sitting at one spot for easily more than half an hour. So what this does is very often, if you look at some kind of scene that you want to draw or you look at a monument that you want to draw, you usually cannot draw the ideal or let's say the first point of view that occurs to you, the first spot from which it looks very beautiful because usually that is also the spot that occurs to a lot of other people. So there are going to be photographers there and in busy tourist spots, there's going to be a lot of foot traffic there. So always as urban sketchers, because of the time intensive nature of this task, we are choosing the second or the third priority choice of location of point of view. And have you have you felt this way when you're drawing these different structures? And do you think it adds something to your experience when you can't simply go with the first thing that occurred to you? I, I love that. I absolutely love the fact that uh, it's um, we don't have to settle on the first point of view, the sort of tourist view. Um, I think I prefer to go for the second, third, even fifth vantage point of anything, just because it shows the, what the scene in a different angle. And I have no hesitation to just go off and try to do a little bit. I don't have to have the entire fountain or palace or whatever it is. I can, I'm just happy with just a little corner of it. I want to be in the space and that is what urban sketching does to me. It allows me to be in the space uh, that, uh, and make a mental record and a paper record of uh, the time and the space and the feel that I was in there at that particular time. And then I will remember it. Well, except the one from, from San Gimignano. But I do remember many of my drawings, uh, sort of, I do remember, because see, we spent so much time in there, right? Drawing that particular item. Um, then you end up, you, you're, you have this, uh, this thing carved in your, in your brain for a while, and you're probably able to recreate most of it just simply because you stood or you sat in that particular location and you just soak it in. That's, that's my approach. That's why I do urban sketching. I'd like to be part of that moment and of that location and just soak in the culture. I'm not really taking any more pictures anymore. 
when I'm going somewhere because I don't have interest in viewing those pictures. But do I view my sketches from you know, the travels around the world? Absolutely. I love, I love that. And that every time I flip over, it's like, oh, yeah, this is where we were uh, sitting and, the, and this particular thing happened, right? And then we had ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because you remember not only the things that you decided to put in the sketch, so they are there on the paper, but you also have a distinct memory of the things you decided to not include. Oh, yeah. The, non, the non-inclusion is very important. And um, as an urban sketcher, I like to draw scenes that are very busy. I find the busier it is, the better it actually comes out for me. So um, because... I find it really easy to eliminate things that I see. Um, elimination is a key, you know, to, to my sketching because I simplify things all the time. So I try to draw fast. And because I try to draw fast, I had to simplify. And, uh, but, it, you know, a baroque front of a church, it doesn't really um, scare me. What scares me is a glass box of a modern, you know, headquarters of a company that's just made out of steel and the glass that would I would not know how to draw that but going back to the baroque facade I'd rather have that and then because I can play with it I can just decide to draw parts only only particular line on the area I can play with things you know being more or less uh, in focus so elimination is key well, you can also uh, adjust things if the if the street light uh, or some other street furniture or a bench or a tree is not in the right location, then in my opinion, there's nothing that prevents you as an artist to either remove it entirely or move it to a different location. Just shift it over a little bit more to the left or to the right. Because as long as this betters your final product and it makes it more appealing, then no one will ever object the fact that the tree that uh, you drew more to the left actually sort of grows in the middle. No one will, ob- will object to that. But if you do the reverse, if you end up moving something from its location into a worse situation, then everyone say, oh, no, 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 that tree doesn't grow there. <laughs> I think often we get stuck in in how real something should be. And there is this overdue emphasis on realism, on things looking exactly as they are. I agree. I, I see that often. And uh, it's, uh, it, you know, uh, some people just simply, that's that's the way they are. So uh, there's there's some uh, well-known urban sketches that they put a lot of detail mm-hmm. in their work, and that's perfectly fine. That is what they are. Um, I'm sort of, sort of from the other end. I try to wrap up all my sketches uh, within, let's say, 45 minutes. That's probably you know, the, the, the time that uh, most of my sketches take. And I simply get bored after that, or maybe I just don't have enough stamina to go past the 45 minutes mark. Uh, therefore, I sketch f- fast. I learn to sketch fast and I sketch large. That's just my, that's just my thing. I sketch large. I'm probably one of the few urban sketchers that uh, sort of uh, um, uses uh, half sheet imperial as uh, a base as a base sheet size or a quarter i find a quarter sheet is good too but it's a little bit too small so um, i i large i like large sheets 
And that's what I prefer to draw on. And that's what is my standard at the moment is sort of large uh, sheets of, uh, of paper as opposed to the sketchbook. Nothing wrong with the sketchbook, but uh, I just like larger size and lesser time. And interestingly, the combination of the two gives, in my case, better results, in my opinion, than having a smaller piece of paper with uh, more time. If I have too much time, then I'll end up being too detailed, too nitty, etc. No, just just go crazy, go with the flow. You draw over the same period of time that I draw. Even I get very bored after 45 minutes and I, I don't know what the reason is, but it's interesting to see you use different, uh, different uh, scale, but the same tools. And maybe in a, in a similar scene, we would complete it over the same amount of time. Yeah, and, but we are comfortable in different, uh, in, in different mediums or different parts of uh, in different sizes of everything. But that's, that is the freedom of an artist, right? That's the, what works for you does not work for me necessarily and vice versa. And same goes with anyone else who's listening now. It's you've got to find what you like and just stick to that or explore if you want, because that's really what the, the, the whole point is. We start this uh, sort of urban sketching by looking at someone and saying, yeah, I like really this person's work. So I'm trying to sort of replicate it, copy it, be inspired by it. But at the end of the day, and there's nothing wrong with that. Go ahead, do that. You'll find out that you will get something out from that particular technique or that particular approach, and th but then you will pull it into your own. And that is really what you want to find. Find your own, whether it's your particular tool, at the particular technique, or perhaps a size of paper. It's uh, just your own personal approach to what you are seeing and the way you want to record your, your time. Yeah, and that's an excellent segue into uh, the second really interesting thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is uh, Fude pens. <laughs> you are known popularly as the Fude dude, and I want you to tell me about how you how you came to Fude pens and how 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 it's come to characterize your style so well. Well, okay, so. Thank you for the question. It's uh, yeah, it's indeed I use the the food at the bent nib, the the fountain pens that have a metal bent nib at the end. I use them extensively. I have few of them, but primarily when I go drawing, I always take a food pen with me. I even write with it now these days if I can. So I do everything with my food. Uh, but uh, how did I get into that? How, I, you know what? I'm not 100% sure, but I actually think it was uh, one, certainly what was one of the posts from urbansketchers.org several years ago when I discovered Urban Sketchers. I wasn't aware of this particular movement. Um, I entirely wasn't aware of the stuff that was happening on Flickr. But then urbansketchers.org as a website popped up and uh, there were some some posts in there. And I think it could have been even Suhitas, one of your previous interviewers, it was a post of hers uh, with some dancing dance dancers, something like that. That that sounds like Suhita or looks like Suhita, um, and that was done with a food pen. And it's, I just looked at it and I liked the line. It's so expressive. It just changes the the line of the the flow of the ink. Um, it just touches the paper at different angles because uh, there's this bend in the nib. And you can get out of the from the same full, uh, from the same tool, you can get different types of lines, and that's what I really liked. And I tried it, and I loved it. I had a, 
I bought a sailor green bamboo pen. That was my first food pen. And then since then, actually in Chicago during the symposium, there was this sketcher from UK and she came with this massive, big, very heavy pen. That's the largest food that I've ever seen to, to this day. I don't even know if there is one. It's a, it's a pen by Duke. And, um, and she... And, and she's a small person, but she said, I love this. It's so heavy. It's so difficult for me, she was saying. It's so difficult for me to sketch with it because it's so heavy, but I loved it. And she let me try it, and I absolutely loved it. And I bought it, you know, next week. And it's been my pen since. So everything that I do, I use that pen primarily for, especially in the large sizes. Uh, now, that is also because the the bend of that particular nib is very large. It's very big. So it works well with my sort of, you know, close to half sheet sizes. But uh, there's uh, the food nib as a concept. It's just working great for urban sketchers. I would suggest to everyone, give it a try. Although I do have some friends here in, in, in USK that uh, tried it and they entirely disliked it. Yeah, so, is that so <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, I think it's like uh, I think it's like ice cream. You know, if I like mint, it might not like it at all. It doesn't mean that it works for you. Marek, do you like mint? <laughs> I do like mint. <laughs> oh my god, that is atrocious. <laughs> mint ice cream. Oh. There you go. See? <laughs> okay, I admit. I, but, I, but but I love this aspect of the urban sketches community that simply by being part of this community, we open ourselves up to trying all these new things, like not only tools, but even sketchbooks and different sizes and different dimensions and scales, simply by watching somebody else do it. How many other things have you have you picked up in this way? Like, have you taken inspiration? Oh, from Urban Sketches? Everything. It's such a wonderful community. I've never met a community of people that is so open, so like-minded, but so inviting and so willing to share. I have absolutely no hesitation to ask any urban sketcher about anything that he or she does. It just, uh, and I know that they will tell me, they will show me, they will let me try that. There is, uh, there isn't, uh, you know, this isn't a competitive field. We are all in this sort of as hobbyists. Well, some of the urban sketchers maybe turned it into a little bit of a business for them, which is great, especially now under COVID. But, uh, but generally, it's, it's. Um, it's just a, a movement of uh, people that are, they just want to share their, their, their knowledge and their skills with anyone else. And they're happy to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, that brings me to ask, how did you come to urban sketching? And I want you to take me back right to those first days when you were a college student and you're drawing in Italy just to make some more money. And how, how did this how did this love grow right from the, those days? Well, yeah. So let's go back, you know, back into the 1980s when I was uh, a university student. And um, uh, well, first of all, I had a really good uh, training in uh, freehand and perspective drawing at my school, the School of Architecture, primarily Nishant, and because there were no computers at the time, right? So you had no option. There was no AutoCAD. I mean, the AutoCAD was just invented. And it really, I'm dating myself now, but um, at least there was no AutoCAD back in Poland. So we all had to draw. And whoever could draw better, their product looked better. So that you had this natural 
sort of tendency to to try your best. And uh, and I like drawing. I like drawing all my life. Uh, so that's uh, that was something that was coming natural to me. And then um, the the school, um, the university profs, they were really good at teaching perspective or something like that. So to this day, I really don't don't, don't see any issues with. Uh, I can draw anything that's made out of straight sticks. Okay, that I I can draw that. If I can see it, I can draw it. But if you put a horse in front of me and ask me to do a drawing of it, I will give you a beautiful drawing of a donkey or something like that. <laughs> because uh, yeah, if it's as long as it's straight lines, that's my thing. And uh, um, when it comes to shapes and other forms. That's uh, that's different. So, but eventually you you overcome that too. Drawing people on the subway that helped me immensely to sort of understand the the shape of the human figure and I mean, different stands and positions and so on. So I do not do portraits or anything like that. I do not do anything realistic. My drawings are primarily architecture and um, you know landmarks in different places around the world. That's what I tend to, to draw mostly. But if you just draw a, a church or a, or a palace and there is nothing in front of it, then it's sort of taken out of context and it's so bare. So I do like the adding people in there, even if they are just in silhouette. That's my thing at the moment. And I think that in order to, to do it, you have to force yourself a little bit. Sometimes if you're not, if you're not that good at it now, just just try on the side, and it's not really that complicated to draw little figurines of people in a distance. It's you know, it's um, relatively easy. And now some people, even in our urban sketching community, they teach how to do that very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, going from going forward from the eighties, as a student, you're drawing partly because you you like it, and partly because it actually helps you so much as a, as a student of architecture. Was draw did drawing remain a part of your life through the years? Like now, of course, you had more and more computers coming in. Were you able to? When did urban sketching, as such, begin for you as a hobby as well? Well, I guess you're you're right. The computers came in eventually when I started working, and everything was done the digital way, not the analog way. Then the the computers have sort of overshadowed it. But I think many of us are tired of computers now, and. And um, certainly in the sort of more mature generation, there, is, there was a little attraction to the analog doing of things, the, the feel of drawing with a pencil or holding a fountain pen. And that's what I liked. That's what I missed. Um, the Wacom tablet or the iPad or anything like that does not really replicate the same feeling to me. So I wanted to draw, to go back into the, into the, traditional painting. And if you think about it, it doesn't really take much. You know, in order to go out and draw, you know, you just have to have a, a pencil, a pad of paper and uh, something to draw. So it was easy um, after after the time when I really couldn't draw much because kids were young and stuff like that. Um, and when I went back into this and, uh, and it had been um, a bigger and bigger part of my life uh, ever since. And then I learned one day that there's a symposium of the urban sketchers and happens to be in Chicago, which is only an hour and a bit, uh, you know, by air from here where I live in Toronto. And that's where I met you. So it's, uh, it's been fantastic. And uh, yeah, definitely um, 
it's uh, yeah I, I i do it because i like it at this point I, but i i urban sketching became for me a sort of a therapy to unwind from everything else that happens in your life during the day and you just go and um, you sketch you draw you doodle i do a lot of doodles as well just simply as a as a moment of rest for my brain let's talk about that because i've been very interested in the kind of doodles that you do you draw a lot of people in your doodles you have exclusive doodles with people in the far distance and then you're doing these doodles in on instagram in which you're it seems almost like you're just building cities that are in your head uh, what what's going on well the all of that is sort of the happy subconscious part that's what i find i do the doodles uh, the the key thing with doodles nishant i think is that i have zero expectations of them turning out well i absolutely have zero expectations so um and the more i can get into the subconscious part inside of my mind, the better they, they turn out. I found that, to my surprise, I found that the best doodles I ever did was while talking on the phone with someone else. And I just doodle on the side and it's like, oh yeah, that turned out really nice. If I do sit down and I try to do a doodle that I think about in advance, in anticipation, uh, then it's not really the, the 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 thing that I want. I want my 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 mind to be guided by my hand, and my hand is guided by the food a pen that's dancing on the paper. I think it's tactile. I like I like holding it. I like playing with the pen. I like I like it to make those marks. And while you are drawing with those marks, you just end up building something. Something is appearing in front of you. I often start a live on Instagram and I don't know what is it going to be. It's just a blank sheet of paper with uh, with my pen in my hand and then start putting in some marks and it goes into either, either those little figurines of people, the silhouettes or some, you know, buildings in a distance, uh, sometimes modern, sometimes less modern, depending on uh, what I, I, probably depending on what I've seen. Um, I, I just came back from a, a trip back to Europe recently, and a lot of my last doodles are sort of showing the type of um, historic architecture that is in this particular city. So I guess what I see, it's, uh, that's what gets into my brain, at least for a while. And then that's what comes onto the paper when I let the food pen dance or do its dance. It's a very interesting situation, and to anybody who's uh, who wants to draw better and are looking for ways to do so, it this passage was so useful to me because to think that once you settle into this rhythm of going from your brain and putting it out onto paper with whatever tool you prefer to use, you set up this cycle in which your brain now also wants to see more things, to find more inspiration. So if you are in Europe or if you're traveling somewhere or even if you're in your own hometown, slowly over time, once you build this practice of drawing more regularly, you start this practice of seeing more regularly and seeing more closely and observing these little things that you don't otherwise notice unless you actually start putting them down on paper. 
a hundred percent correct i uh, agree with you i agree with you i couldn't agree with you more nishan this is uh, this is how i feel when i came to toronto about 30 years ago i really i came to toronto from rome and uh, let me how should i put it i wasn't impressed by what i see here so there's two factors here. One is that Toronto has improved tremendously in, over the last 30 years, and uh, you should come and visit. That's another thing. But, uh, but the second part is that uh, I guess I sort of uh, reset my expectations that Toronto doesn't have a Colosseum or a St. Peter's Cathedral. Toronto has a lot of other things that are beautiful and wonderful if you can go and find them. And that's what people can find in their own towns as well. And the same goes for any urban area. Uh, you, can, you don't have to go and draw the, the facade of, uh, of a cathedral. You can just go and draw the garbage bins in the, in the back lane. Actually, one of the Chicago sketchers does that quite often, right? Urban uglies. Yeah, yeah. Wes Douglas is uh, renowned for drawing these things that are unconventional subjects, things that you wouldn't think of as, uh, well, in a, in a layman's way, you wouldn't think of them as worthy of art. But through drawing them, he brings this beauty out in it and helps you to observe why it is and consider why it might be worthy of art. Absolutely. And I think I had a similar um, start of my sketching in Toronto that uh, I went through the back lanes first because that's where it was. I like busy scenes. So, and a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of fronts of stores and shops and home, homes, they are sort of cleaned up and neat while the back is full of junk and they have so much of those layers of accumulated history on them. And that's what attracts me more. So I started drawing from the back of uh, the, the home and the back of the shops. And I still do that quite often here in Toronto. But that's how I, that's where I started. That's where I found beauty in this town first. And then eventually it, it, that brings you into the main street and you can actually see, oh yeah, in between this and that, uh, there is uh, this old bank or something historical that you can draw and now i draw modern as well it's it's just you draw what you see and but you've got to start somewhere so draw wherever you can and to me the key is also to draw often because if you end up drawing once a month it's not really going to advance your capacity much your skill level but if you draw more often once a week or perhaps even once a day even if it is for a few minutes only then that becomes a little bit of a habit. And eventually it might become um, something that you will miss if you're not doing. You probably have that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, if I don't draw for a few days, my fingers begin to itch. I feel like I need to get back in this cycle of, cycle of like, like we talked about how you observe and then you put it out on paper. And that, that process, that cycle is a very therapeutic and a very very, very, a very deep part of us because we're really looking and then we're looking again and then we draw something and it occurs to me that, oh, I, I, I just looked at it, but I completely forgot how this window looks. So I look at that window once more. And that's simply a thing that you don't do if you're not drawing. You, you might look at something, you might find it beautiful, 
but to give it that second look and to look at it again more closely and to now try to see where are the shadows falling how does this window appear how transparent or how opaque is it all of those little things that's that's where all the beauty is right that's those little details that we learn to spot and then try to replicate yeah and you can draw the same scene in different times of the day different seasons you know with different colors different techniques there's so much there to explore find uh, find out this uh, yeah it's it's a fabulous uh, way of uh, using your free time that's sort of where the appeal of urban sketching over the last 10 15 years has also come from you were mentioning how with the rise in you know technology uh, technologically aided drawing which is what i studied i studied autocad although i also had in my mechanical engineering uh, courses i had a lot of drawing to do on paper with pencil and pen and things i also learned a lot of autocad but we're finding it's almost like there is a resurgence in the appreciation of imperfect things of things that are obviously done by a human being and not perfected by a machine so let's 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 talk about photography let's go back in time when it wasn't so easy you were i remember you were telling me about selling art to tourists uh, right. what what was that experience like so uh, the reason i'm asking this is uh, that a lot of us we draw for ourselves and that's very satisfying and it's a very valid thing to do but when you start to draw with the eventual aim of perhaps selling a few of those certain things change in what you draw how you draw how you feel about them so so tell me about this experience from long ago of selling art oh yeah so that was uh, it was urban sketching in a way pretty much i went along every single rule of the urban sketchings primarily because i didn't even have a camera myself at the time that i could use to take pictures of so everything was drawn on site on location and that's probably why i love doing it since since then but then i found out that after drawing the same scene 3 4 5 times from the same spot you end up getting a little bit bored especially i mean you end up selling hopefully the first four but the fifth time you go to the same spot you don't really want to do the same scene from the exact same spot so you start moving a little bit around and trying to find a different vantage point and so on and so forth and often i found that those unusual views um they found um they found an audience not so much perhaps with the tourists but with the locals i happened to be um in the same spot for well over a month over several years um at, at the time it was in the town of perugia perugia has a well known university language university for foreigners and i was studying language there but also trying to make a little bit of money on the side Uh, by selling my artwork in the in the evening and uh, while tourists would want to have the typical shot of taj mahal as everyone else does the locals were looking at it from a different point of view and they were saying oh yeah i passed by this particular scene so many times but i never thought that you can draw it that way so i ended up actually having um a lot of sort of return customers from the local population because the tourists are there for you know a day or maybe an hour or maybe 20 minutes depending depending how they are and and they and this is this is going back in time but tourists at that time they would buy some of the artwork primarily in my opinion because there was a limited number of pictures you could take with your 
camera, the, the film camera, right? You only had 24 or 36 shots on it. And, and then you had to change the role. And until you went back home where you developed this thing, you didn't even know whether the shot was any good or not. So at that at that time, my thinking is that a lot of tourists, they were sort of buying those uh, um, relatively cheap um, sketches of mine, primarily as insurance. Well, if my own picture does not come true well, then the photo that they've taken does not come out well, then at least I have this thing here that I that I bought from, well, a local guy, they thought of me. And... Uh, and it it was just be as a as a memento, as a souvenir of this particular trip or this particular place, and they appreciated the fact that they were all originals because that's what was it was. I would just draw them and then put them into a little frame, a passepartout as they call it down there, and uh, just put it out for sale, and uh, that worked out. I made um, new friends um, all around the world. I made a lot of friends locally as well. Um, so yeah, with some of those people, I actually keep in touch till today. Uh huh. Wow. The the local aspect is so interesting to me. Uh, I had a similar experience. I moved to Wisconsin for, and I lived in Wisconsin for three years, and I was in this place where I was completely foreign. I didn't understand or know any of the things around me, and. Of course, it's not a touristy town. It was a small town in Wisconsin. So anything I drew was was not something that you have a lot of tourists congregating at. So I was drawing things because I was curious about this new place. And I would go and look at the library. I would go and look at the community parks and I would draw scenes there. And I found that the local people were interested in my work, not unexpectedly so, uh, because they saw, like you mentioned, they would say things like, this is the road that I walk by. And I'd never thought of it as a scene of art, but it's interesting that you see it in this totally different way. So it's a very it's a very liberating feeling in a sense, because as, again, as new artists or as uncertain artists, we put all this baggage over our head that the scene we choose has to be the best scene we could have chosen to draw. And simply that task of deciding what to draw is so overwhelming that often people end up not drawing at all. But it's so liberating to think that it doesn't really matter as much as you think. And the view that you give is already fresh and exciting to somebody who even lives there, let alone what, what a tourist wants or doesn't want. But simply to somebody who's intimately aware of that surroundings, it's so refreshing to see a new set of eyes on that. Takes takes the load off as an artist about what's worthy of being drawn. It's, it's our freedom, right? We can do it. And you and I, we would do the same scene different way. Put us together in the exact same spot and it will end up being a totally different set of drawings that's what we end up producing. And that is the interest of that. This is what's happening at the throwdowns of the urban sketching community at the end of yeah. the meetups, right? Yeah. The people come in and sometimes they were sitting next to each other and they just, just put their product down and then you see that it's a totally different approach. It's just entirely different. And they highlighted other areas and maybe they are more interested in people rather than buildings or they are more interested in color or shapes or anything like that. And it's just, it, this is so interesting for, that you can see all of it. You have access to all of that firsthand. And if you want, you can go and ask them questions and they will help you. They will show you. They'll be quite happy to share with you. Yeah. 
how they do this? Yeah, so my first few meetups that I attended of any urban sketching group, uh, it happened to be after I was in Wisconsin. So I would attend meetups with uh, the group in Minneapolis and I would drive to Minneapolis for it. And it was fascinating to me, this throwdown, just for anybody not acquainted with urban sketching circles, what happens is we have these meetups where we meet at a location, we go in our different directions to draw whatever we feel like for a few hours. And then everybody congregates together at the end of this period. And we put our sketchbooks together on the ground. And it's like a mini gallery in which we take we take walks around it and we look at what everyone else has drawn and share what we have drawn. And it's especially lovely because this is not about talent. It's not about skill level. It's just about what did you see? And sometimes we would go to these locations like the museum or the uh, some kind of park or some kind of historical location. And it would be interesting because in three hours you have maybe made one drawing, but in one walk around the throwdown of the sketchbooks, you collect all these different viewpoints of all the different things that all of us found that were cool or interesting or just curious. It's just a gallery of our minds. Everyone sees it differently. Everyone has a way of recording it, their own personal way. It's just so interesting. And it's, it's the, the highlight of the meetup to me is just to see what has everyone, someone else seen in the same thing that I was drawing my own way, but they approach it from a totally different point of view. And it's, uh, yeah, it's liberating. That's how I see, liberating. So we've talked about how how the locals looked at your art and uh, what they found interesting in it. Uh, I'm also curious to know what kind of tourists would buy your art and whether they had different things that they were looking for. Now, of course, a tourist is coming there for just one vision. This is their time to take something away from this location. So I, I feel like they would want some of those more iconic scenes and those more iconic points of view from from you. Yeah, definitely. The tourists would want the, the more recognizable scenes. That's no question about that. So, and since I only had one of something, then often there would be some bickering or it's like, who, I saw it first, you know, and because if tourists come in a group and there's a, a couple of different couples, then they would have to, to battle in between themselves who gets the iconic view and everybody else gets something else. Uh, but uh, that's... Uh, that was uh, sort of interesting to me. I also found that uh, at the time, it was more interesting to me that uh, the tourists from North America, primarily, they wanted things in color. They loved the watercolor, you know, the, the ink and watercolor. It had to be color. The tourists from the, the either Germany or the Scandinavian countries, they preferred that to be sepia or black and white, just black ink anything like that. Um, the tourists from Japan, and there were a lot of them at the time, I don't know what they prefer because they would just come up from their bus, stand in front of you, pull out those big real cameras that they had at the time, the film cameras, the 8mm or whatever they were, and just take, take a recording of the entire line of artwork that you had out there for sale, sometimes nod hello or say nothing and just keep going because they only had 20 minutes to visit that particular town. So I don't know what they prefer. In those 20 minutes, you were also a tourist attraction for them. 
in, I guess in a way too, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, it was interesting how, I mean, I'm generalizing, of course, at this point, uh-huh. uh, but the, the tourists had, a, a, yeah, you're right, the tourists like the iconic views. The locals, though, they, they preferred something a little bit off the beaten path, and often, often the locals would come and they would ask, hey, I have this, this, this property, this, this house, could you do something for me? So it happened several times. Uh, this is, for instance, a way that I ended up that I ended up meeting the uh, owner of the largest chocolate factory in Italy at the time. Yes, uh, there was. Uh, I don't know if they are still on their own, but there was this chocolate called Bacio Perugina, the one with the hazelnut in a silver wrapper, and it has a little piece of paper that has some saying in it. It's sort of like the most. Uh, the most known Italian chocolate before Ferrero Rocher came onto the board. The, the, the Bacio Perugina, which really means kisses, um, the Bacio was there. And I ended, I ended, up, be, I ended up being approached by the, this lady and she says, well, um, I know someone who lives in a, in a home that's surrounded by really old trees, like two 300-year-old trees, really old, and not much of the home is seen. Uh, could you possibly do a drawing of it? Sort of like, you know, eliminating the trees entirely because no picture can be taken. I said, sure, let's give it a try. Uh, So she took me there. It was out of town. And it turns out to be a 17th century palace that uh, he had. And that he had, uh, well, his his grandfather actually invented this particular chocolate and... um, he, he was the third generation owner of it, and they were doing quite well um, at the time. So the, the palace was beautiful, and they ended up doing drawings of that simply by entirely eliminating some of the trees in front. And then he made a postcard out of that and kept sending me that postcard for Christmas, you know, for several years after. So that was that was quite nice. Uh, but that's uh, that's how you end up, you know, finding. Um, true connection with the locals because I ended up being invited for, you know, for lunch or for dinner there more than once. And, you know, it just, it just goes through. You end up making local connections that are very useful to you as a, well, as a passerby, as a tourist. You, you end up putting some kind of, a, you have a better feel of how do the locals think about you and perhaps how do they think about your work? And and how how is that feeling to contend with? Uh, I was thinking about how, as an urban sketcher, often or just as an artist, your first uh, call to what you want to draw is for yourself. But if you're going there with the object in your mind that you eventually also want to, you know, if you're drawing four and five drawings, it ceases to be just drawing for your own joy. You're also drawing in order to be able to sell it. Is is that a conflict in your mind? The kind of things you draw or the way you draw them. I, I guess it might be. I really don't know because I don't draw anything for 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 anyone else anymore for a long time now. So it's uh, it's been it's been a, a a while. However, I do commissions. So you're right. When it comes to commissions, I end up being much tighter in drawing my commission work than yeah, if it was something that I was just drawing for myself. So what I love the most is uh, when I go somewhere find something really nice, some, well, often they are private dwellings, 
but there is a lot of beautiful homes in North America that are in private hands. But, you know, you can see them from the street. So I just sit down and do a drawing of it. And, the, and then the owners come out and then potentially they can buy it too, but they just appreciate the fact that uh, their house got picked to be drawn. And I appreciate the fact that I didn't have to do a commission for them where I would sit down and say, ah, this has to be absolutely perfect and it's got to be neat and show exactly what it is. Because if I'm drawing it for myself, I take liberties. I will you know, move trees. I will remove some elements that are entirely unnecessary. If there is some stuff in the front that I don't want to show, if there's a car in front of the garage, you may or you may not draw it in. It's not a photograph. That is the advantage of us as artists that we can adjust the reality to make it a little bit better. This is twisting a, a little bit on the, um, the on the urban sketchers approach where you know the urban sketchers draw what they see. But nowhere it is, it's, it's saying that you cannot move that tower a little bit more to the left to better up your composition. Yeah, and and often, I mean, often it's just uh, subconscious. Like a lot of the mild minor changes that people bring into their sketches, it's just actually a reflection of who they are as artists. And in a sense, it elevates the drawing far above if they were, like you mentioned for commissions, it, it's the same problem with me that I become much tighter when I'm doing commissions and I'm preoccupied with this thought that what do they want and what is it that is most important to them? And maybe sometimes you you are commissioned by somebody because they want to see what is most important to you instead. And so you're, you're, you're in this you're in this juggling game between how how much important you should give to your own vision versus what your customer might uh, be looking for. Well, we seem to be in agreement that the commissions are sort of tightening us up, and that is the case. So, so definitely a way around it, you know, is to just draw for yourself. Have a mindset that you're drawing for yourself. Because after all, often, even if you're doing a commission, but if it doesn't come out well to your liking, then I wouldn't give it out. I would not present it if I'm not liking what I'm having. So I just do another one, especially, you know, we are both fast sketchers. So it's just, you know, just, just throw it away or use the so-called plan B, which is turn the page to the other side, take your sheet and put it on the, on the reverse side and start drawing this again um, while you're on location. And you will find out that the, in my case, often having less time gives me a better result. Especially if it, uh, so, it's uh, it I the, the, or at least the artwork that I like myself the most is the one when I had to be rushed uh, to to complete it because there was some kind of a deadline, you know, some artificial deadline of twenty minutes, let's say. It's it's similar to how I was talking about this with uh, Suhita, and she also draws always with this deadline because she's drawing domestic scenes and often she's drawing 10, 15 minute scenes, which will be gone very soon. So it's like you very quickly switch to your autopilot mode and to this mode where you don't let those second guesses and hesitations creep in. You just do. Agreed. Yeah, and, the, and the, by doing that, you also end up drawing the essence of the scene. If you have little time, you'll just draw what's the most important rather than going and being neat about it and, and I don't know, counting all the windows. And there's nothing wrong with doing that if you want to do that. But the, in most cases, uh, you might not have to. 
You know, it's just uh, as long as, as as long as it appears to be uh, a set of windows, then the viewer will know. Okay, it's it's a dwelling, it's a house, it's a it's, it's a high rise or something along those lines. And uh, whether the number of windows in the, in the individual rows is correct or not, well, some people like to do it that way. I don't, simply don't have the patience. I think I'm not the known for being the most patient person. <laughs> it's this, I have the same problem as that. Uh, there you go. This reminds me of a workshop I took at the at a USK Chicago seminar. And in, in this, uh, it was led by a local architect and he was teaching us how to draw in the same way that you mentioned, just drawing the essentials. So how to learn to spot the essentials. And what we did was we sat down at a street corner and we drew a scene and he gave us 25 minutes to draw the scene. And once we'd drawn it, he asked us to repeat exactly the same scene, not changing anything, but now we're going to draw it in 10 minutes. And then we drew it in 10 minutes. And then we looked at it and he said, okay, I want you to draw that scene once more. This time we're going to draw it in five minutes. And we went on doing this again and again and again. From five, we went down to two minutes, from two to one minute, from one minute, all the way down to 15 seconds for the same scene that we had originally drawn in 25 minutes. And although, of course, the 15 second and the 30 seconds are just are excellent ways to almost develop a negative of what your scene is. You just draw the big shapes, the big uh, prominent shade areas. But what I found interesting was that the best version of my drawing was the 10 minute drawing and not the 25 minute drawing. And it was because I had, I, I just didn't uh, pause to think and to reconsider my my ideas. I just went with what I thought would work because in my in the back of my head, I was thinking I'm going to run out of time and I won't get to the rest of it. Yeah, your mind is occupied with the clock. So therefore your subconscious is taking over and you are just going freely. And see, that's that's exactly, I'm not surprised that the 10 minutes was best. I, I would think that maybe your five minutes was even better, but who knows, It's uh, I haven't seen it. It's, uh, it's very true that uh, g give yourself freedom and sometimes you can get that freedom you can force this freedom artificially on yourself simply by setting those type of limitations as this particular architect had during this workshop. So that's a great example. Exactly true. And I love the topic of setting limitations. This is something that I do very consciously. We And we are setting limitations every time we go out to draw in the sense of we take a sketchbook with us. And if you change that sketchbook one day and you take a different sketchbook, suddenly you have challenged yourself in a unique way that you didn't the last time. If you go out with, like a lot of watercolorists recommend, going out with just a triad of colors, not taking the whole palette with you, suddenly those challenges uh, bring out something else that's fresh, something, ask you to, to negotiate them from a new angle. And again, something different comes out. So these challenges and these limitations are, we think of them as limitations, but they're almost like they're liberating us from the excess, unnecessary choices and just the process of decision-making, liberating us from this process of coming up with the best decision. Well, isn't it that sometimes we generate those, uh, those uh, problems ourselves? I, so many times I see, you know, sketchers coming out and the first thing that they do is they will squeeze out 25 different colors from their tubes onto their palette which takes, well, 20 minutes, you know, or, or maybe a larger part of, uh, of a workshop. And so before they actually started dabbing in, uh, in something, they create a problem for themselves because they don't know which color should they start with later. 
So yeah, simplify your life. That's certainly uh, well good. Um, it it encourages to draw more if you if you use simple solutions. That's that is my approach. I mean, I probably uh, went into the more extreme side of it because I rarely use any color. I don't really understand color that well. My strengths are into the value, into the grace, and that's what I like doing. Uh, which actually happened to be interestingly. Um, an, um, an accident in a way, because uh, if you recall in Chicago during the symposium, they gave us uh, this uh, loot bag of all the different things. And that loot mm-hmm. bag had a stick of uh, water-soluble graphite. And I had that loot bag with me uh, while I was doing my very first sketch during the first uh, uh, public walk that we had in there. And um, and I didn't have any watercolors with me. So it's like, okay, I did my ink sketch, um, but it was like, mm, okay, it needs a little bit of something. It needs some kind of a value to the drawing. And But my watercolors aren't with me. So I was like, okay, maybe I can try to use this water-soluble thingy because there was also a water brush in there. So um, I had water with my water bottle, water bottle, water brush, water-soluble stick of graphite. Ta-da! That was how I started my um, gra- water-soluble graphite adventure This is, that is going uh, till today. I use it um, extensively pretty much everywhere around the world. And I don't really care about the individual colors of the individual places that I'm in if I can just render them in value that is gray. That's, uh, that works for me at the moment. Um, I probably... Sometimes I'm not capable of using the colors the proper way. That is not my my forte. <laughs> so uh, I leave that to other sketchers, well known for for doing that. Uh, and some of them you had on your uh, on your previous podcasts. Oh yes, uh, some of them have been just amazing. The way they, I was telling Shari this that the kind of colors that she puts on paper, I feel like those colors don't even exist until I actually see her finished painting then I'm aware that this color is also possible. Yeah, I know. And the color combinations, you know, but because some people just see it in their, in their, with their eyes before it's down there on the paper. That's an amazing skill. But that's how, that's how they are. So, and, and, the, and the beauty of it is that uh, you can learn from those people so easily. They are quite willing to share that information. So let's, let's talk about the urban sketching community that you are part of in Toronto. How, how long have you been part of them? And what are some of the other interesting artists that you see there? What are the things you've learned from them? Yeah, that, I started with the community in Toronto maybe four or five years ago. And uh, it, it's it's uh, one of the chapters of the urban sketching um, that uh, it's uh, well organized and it's certainly strengthening up. It's getting um, larger in, in numbers, there's more and more sketchers coming up lately. There's also uh, more administrators. And all of this is uh, sort of modeled a little bit after Chicago and New York. Chicago, of course, being the best in the world, no question about that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, at least in my opinion, um, in organizing things. And uh, so we're trying to bring uh, the, the locals uh, to to meet and to, to see each other. To see each other. Of course, now under COVID, it's much more difficult. But there's still some attempts to do it, you know, whether virtually or you know, everybody posts at the same time. Um, I was I was in Europe recently, and um, I went out sketching by myself, and I found out then that sketching by myself 
first of all, is boring. That's one thing because there's no one to talk to. And also, and also, you know, I wear, um, I wear glasses. So sketching, you know, while I'm wearing a medical mask is actually not a good thing at all because they tend to, they tend to fog quite, quite quickly. So that was an, an additional limitation here. So let's hope for this to go away quickly and we can regain our normal activities. And I'm sure Toronto will come back uh, and bounce back um, you know, with the, uh, the usual activities that uh, urban sketchers have. Yeah, that's so true. Um, what are what are some other tools that you've used? Now, I've, I know that uh, the Fude pen is a big, uh, is very dear to you. Also, uh, what are some of these tools that you use to set values with? Well, I, I actually have very few tools only. I, I use large sheets of paper. We spoke about that already. And I like those sheets to be loose sheets. Uh, Primarily, well, first of all, they are no sketchbooks of the size that I like to draw in. So that's obvious. And if they were any sketchbooks, then they would be extremely heavy. So rather than rather than carrying, you know, three pounds of paper with me all around, I carry just a couple of sheets for the day, and that's what I uh, what I like. And uh, and then it's just a food pen uh, with some ink. I tend to use waterproof uh, ink. So um, there's a few of them that you can use for fountain pens that are safe for fountain pens. Um, and then I use uh, just one stick of uh, graphite that's water-soluble. And I just make different, I call them soups, really, because that's how they look. You know, It's just a mud puddle of graphite with water in two, three, maybe four different strengths that I put my brush in and I use that to put values on the drawing and that's all so it's extremely simple and perhaps because it's extremely simple and it takes no time to set up um, I can I can put and uh, get get down and complete a drawing in um, 45 minutes sometimes half an hour depending on how complex it is and uh, once it's done it's signed it's done and I don't really work on it at home um, again anymore. It's, it mostly goes onto the pile of things uh, that are storing now in my basement. That's our the, the other problem of urban sketches. We have so much of those. Uh, Let's say that's the, that's the other problem of using loose sheets, because if you were using little sketchbooks, you might have a it might be simpler to store them. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Absolutely, that is uh, that is a problem of my own doing. Yes, that uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I just like the freedom of the size, and it's just a personal thing. If you like to to draw small, that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I just like the freedom, and I think I also like the fact. That here's here's my problem with the sketchbooks, and uh, uh, I don't use sketchbooks. Uh, I don't like them, and primarily, I think I came to a conclusion that I don't use sketchbooks. Because if I do a drawing in a sketchbook that it's, I consider it decently good, then I want my next page to be at least at the same level or better. So, and that is somehow blocking me because I think I had this sketchbook concern, phobia, sketchbook phobia, uh, that, that what if my next production will not be at the same level as the previous one that I really like. So if I look through some of the very ancient sketchbooks that I still have in my home, and they are like a third field only, 
usually it ramps up. They were some sketches that were so-so and some better, some worse. And then there's a really good one that at least I consider that a really good one. And then the rest of the pages are blank. And that seems to be the pattern. Sketchbook phobia is a very, very real concern and a very real problem. So I'm glad that you're able to find uh, this way to, this solution around it. And I urge everybody to sort of look for their own unique solutions around these things. Because as you mentioned, this minimalist uh, toolkit that you have, you have two or three things, you have this large sheet of paper. It not only helps you get finished faster, but more important, like I think the most important thing, which is what is common across all of us urban sketchers, is that it gets you started quickly. And that barrier to should I draw now, should I not draw now, that is that barrier is what I think prevents 90% of people from getting things done. Yeah, and time is of essence, and often you just don't have much time. Often it's also a situation of lighting. I go around town and I try to look for interesting light. So that's what, uh, since I draw architecture, it's, uh, it's you know, there's a particular light conditions, an angle of the sun or, you know, some weather, some clouds, something that is appealing to me, maybe some reflection that is interesting. And uh, I like to draw that, especially since I'm doing a lot of value sketches. I'm, I got to be able to represent the play of sunlight, you know, bouncing off different surfaces at, with different strengths. Um, so, but that sunlight changes. You only have maybe, what, an hour, maybe two, sometimes maybe less on a cloudy day to actually make a record of that particular moment. And if it's, uh, and if you're coming close to a sunset or so, then it's totally even less. It's, uh, so you, be you better be quick and decide to do things if you like it and you're got in a, you are in a position that is perhaps not optimal, but good enough for you, then sit down and do that sketch right away because you won't regret it. That those might be the best 20 minutes of your day uh, it, that you spend at that particular moment in that location. If you start, you know, going around finding, oh, maybe I'll sketch from here, maybe I'll maybe I'll go back 10 steps, and then you end up spending 20 minutes setting up your entire area uh, with all the gear that uh, um, that some people just like to carry around with them, or maybe think, oh, well, which, which technique should I be using? Often when I go out, I only have one technique with me. So it's a maximum two. I mean, it's either black and white or color. It's always Fude for me. That's really the easy thing. So I start with, the, with my Fude pen, and while I'm doing the ink drawing, so I, 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 I sit down on, a, on my stool. I put down, I have this large sort of board made out of two mats that I put on my laps. Uh, I pull out a sheet of paper and start drawing in ink immediately with the Fude pen. That's just, uh, that's just how I do it. And lately I noticed that I typically draw from the top down because it's mostly some kind of a scene of the city. So it's either the roof lines or it's the towers or some something interesting. And I draw from the top and from the left down. I'm right-handed, so I prefer to mm -hmm. draw that particular way. So even though the ink dries relatively quickly, I, you don't get any smudges on your on your on your paper because that's uh, yeah that's not a good thing, and uh, and within the next well usually something like fifteen minutes or so I have my ink drawing done, and then by that time I know is it going to be a color drawing where I will would use watercolors which take me much longer, 
or do I just go and continue with the, with my graphite? And most of the times, it's just the, the value drawing in graphite grayscales only, and that uh, you know gets filled in in the next twenty minutes. Sign, take a couple of pictures because you've got to put that back <laughs> on your Facebook and Instagram, and just make a record of that moment. This is the happy time for you. Take a picture of that. Um, I probably take pictures and videos lately as well, uh, just so we can post it. And uh, and then by the time it's all dry, it goes back into that folder that is my board, and back goes back into the backpack. Yes, I actually had a I have a backpack for my size, you know, because <laughs> l- lately the size I use is twelve by twenty four inches, so it's um, it's one foot by two, and that's a big piece of paper. But that gives me the freedom of uh, hand movement that I like. If you like your small sketchbooks, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. Just do what you like, find your own technique. But the simplifying your the approach, in my opinion, will makes you much more expedient because you don't have options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I find I find it interesting how you were mentioning coming from top to down, finishing the line work, and then deciding and then understanding over the period of doing those 15 20 minutes of the line work whether or not you want uh wash on it whether or not you want only lines on it and and that's so interesting because another thing that seems to uh stifle a lot of people or just stumble them when they are going to draw is that they don't have all the answers already and we feel obliged that we must have the exact vision of how it's going to look before we Absolutely. set pen to paper Absolutely right. Yes, I, I agree. And yet we don't. We should not have the answers. That's why you should you sit down to find out those answers. They will come to you eventually. It's uh, and even if they don't, then so what? I mean, after all, I draw for myself, and I'm sure that's what you do. I draw because I want to be in that happy zone. You know, this is the happy moment of my day when I can sit down and draw something and you don't care about anything else. There is no concern about, uh, I don't know, economy, politics, or anything else that's bad in your life. This is just something that you do for yourself to be in the happy moment. And I'm not sure how about you, Nishant, but I sit down and I do a drawing and I often don't know how much time I spent on it. Was it 20 minutes? Was it 40 minutes? After it's finished, and I look at it, and it's like, I have no idea what's the time. Your mind is on screensaver mode in a way. <laughs> yeah, and that's what we like about it, because it's, you know, to me, it's drawing or painting, it's therapy in a way. That's how I look at it. It's just, I do it because I like it. And, uh, you know, of, of course, sometimes you do it for some other reason, right? You want to give it to somebody else. But this is effectively, it's a, it's a function that you just like doing. So why not do it as, as often as possible and, uh, and share that with other people? Because it turns out that a lot of uh, people that we know, you know, or they, that follow you on your Instagram and Facebook, they want to do the same. They just don't find the, the guts in themselves to go out and sketch people at an intersection or be sneaky on them and get uh, somebody else's you know, drawings while they are sipping on their coffee, right? Therapy is the best, best way to put it. And it also answers what was going to be my last, my final question about why somebody should, should do this. So I urge everybody to take Marek's advice and to treat it 
as a personal therapeutic tool to observe your world and to draw something that makes you curious that makes you interested to just spend time with something that you like absolutely it's worth every second of that and you won't be counting those seconds because it's your happy time at least for me that's how it ends up being it's my happy time i'm quite happy to go back to it anytime and at, at this point here most of many of us uh, you know in the urban sketching community we will actually take trips to other places to interesting places just to sketch so you end up going to some other you know uh, location um, and uh, just sketch that particular the life that's happening at that particular spot and, and that's wonderful that's very liberating I never thought that I would be spending my vacation that particular way, but that's what it ends up being. I'm drawing for myself with no expectations of me, with no one asking me to do it. I do it because I like it and I know I'll be happy while doing it. So why not do it more often? Absolutely. And speaking of people who listen to us, people who who uh, are trying to take, like people who follow us and therefore are trying to take inspiration from the work we're doing, uh, the I find this is something that I did at the start of my workshop also, and I thought it was really important to do, is that I give people, and I want you to do the same with me now, like I want us to give our followers and anybody who looks at your art the permission to make just just make art, whether it's good or bad. I like to think of it as giving people the permission to make bad art. Just allow yourself this thing, and you will find you will find good reasons which are beyond whether or not your art is good. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. You should give yourself the permission to do whatever you want and then not be judged by anyone else because it really doesn't matter, you know, whether this product of yours is being liked by, I don't know, your, your family or your neighbor or whoever else. If this is the final result that you had a moment of total happiness with for your just for yourself, uh, just go for it. Thank you for joining me in this enlightening conversation with Marek. We draw in such similar ways. We use speed and instinct to guide our moves. And we're both very impatient and we like to get finished as quickly as we can. But if there's a single takeaway that I want to emphasize, it would be not about finishing quickly, but about the importance of getting started quickly. I think it's so important to lower the barriers that keep us from drawing. These barriers can take many forms, and I won't even try to get into what the different ones are. But I urge you to keep in mind that they're all entirely irrelevant from that single moment onwards when you press pen to paper. Take that first step quickly, don't overthink it, and I think you'll find that it only gets easier after that.